Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the Leaves Report. This is Clark here. Hello, everybody. All right, James, it is a special edition of the podcast. Anytime we have a guest, but especially this guest, it is Carlo Coliacolo, TSN, longtime NHLer. Carlo, what is happening? What's up, gentlemen? Uh, just uh, another sunny day celebrating a Leafs win. All's good. <laughs> well, so what I think we should do here today, since I get to create the agenda Ooh, is I thought we would look with the trade deadline is under two weeks away I thought we would look at some areas of need and discuss how much we think beliefs need a, a fix there and James uh, obviously today at the athletic had some trade proposals so maybe those mm. will come up okay um, James do, do, you, do you have anything to say I should let you speak at least once yeah Carlo is like a, a former player how do you feel about the trade deadline do you get like uh is there some PTSD or anything like that? Like, did you not like this day when you were playing in the league? Well, James, luckily for me, I was never traded on any trade deadline, but uh, definitely some PTSD for sure, because there was a lot of anxiety that normally came at this time of the year. And mostly on the years when you played on bad teams where you knew that there was going to be changes made. Um, the years where I played on really good teams, there was there was a lot of excitement heading into the trade deadline because of the possibility of adding a player that can make your team better for a long playoff run. But uh, I would say there was probably twice in my career where I went in, they're both in St. Louis, where I went into the trade deadline thinking I was going to be traded to the point where um, back in before the, the, the new CBA was created, where guys get their own rooms on the road. My roommate was Brad Boyce and it was 2010 or 2011. uh, No, sorry. Yeah, 2010, uh, I believe when he was got when he got traded to Buffalo that year, um, we both thought we were going to be traded. Uh, we were a team hovering around a playoff spot, wondering if we would make it, wondering if we wouldn't. And I remember going onto that road trip, I packed an extra suitcase because I thought I was going to be traded. And luckily, well, I want to say luckily, um, fortunately for me, uh, I didn't get traded. I stayed in St. Louis. Actually, uh, ended up playing. Um, happy that I did because I played in a better opportunity from other guys that were shipped out and allowed myself to continue a couple more years there. But um, now, to be honest with you, no PTSD. I mean, I get so pumped for this because it's the one thing I really do wish that the NHL would embrace. I know it's hard because of the cap and because of the flat cap in the next couple of years, but 
I get the sense that there, I mean, maybe you guys can, can share a feeling on this too, but the NHL doesn't, doesn't live up to the hype of the trade deadline. When you talk about all the buzz that's generated for players that are supposed to be traded or blockbuster trades, because I just feel like there's too much of a pride between general managers where they're scared to lose a trade and they don't, they don't believe that, that they're, that they're, they're going to get enough or that, you know, they, they don't want to give up on a player. Like I look at the at leagues like the NBA and NFL, like that's what creates the buzz and excitement about those leagues. Cause you're, you're seeing, you know, trades happen every year with big time players. And I just, I feel like there's just a lot of empty noise year after year. And I'm, I'm actually kind of concerned of what this year's trade deadline is going to look like as much as we know that there's players out there that are available, but you know, it's, it's, it's the, it's the becoming gun shy or maybe not, not enough trigger happy um, of what, what is it, what we should all expect to see come trade deadline. You know what it is, Carlo, that I think it has happened is I think it's become like we've overthought it so much that we've overvalued like draft picks and like future yeah. assets instead of like, let's like fucking try to win here. Like yeah. if, if we're close, like I know there's stats and like James and you and I have, and Carlo has probably seen like the value of guys you trade for is this and this and this, but like maybe that guy you trades, you trade for wins you one game and you go around and then you win another round. Yeah. And like, your whole season is different. I don't know, James, do you feel like that at all? There's there's a whole bunch of things that happen in hockey that you've got a hard cap, you've got teams that are, are capped out, you've got all the star players sign these big, long deals, there's tons of no movement clauses, mm-hmm. there's all this stuff in the CBA that works against the, you know, kind of what, what Carlo's talking about, there being more movement. There's just, so they would they would have to, they would have to rework some of that and give general managers more flexibility. And that's that's one of the things that Brian Burke has talked about for years and years and years in the GM meetings is that, mm-hmm. you know, he was one of the ones that really pushed for them to have retained salary. And that that's helped. But, you know, the, you look at a league like the NBA, and correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but, you know, they have shorter contracts and there's free agencies a lot more active. And there's just a lot more player movement in general there, with especially with star players. Yeah. And, and that just makes days like the trade deadline way more interesting. Here's the thing I've proposed, and I know the NHL is a stickler on it, but what if you allow a team to go like five, be able to spend $5 million over the cap that creates some sort of tax where you're paying 50 cents on the dollar. If you do, then you allow the teams to decide if they want to make that decision. Right. But at least you, you give them that flexibility to do something. Um, I mean, the thing that amazes me is that like, we've just seen it with the NBA. When, when a team doesn't want a player, they buy them out in the middle of the season and then they can go play somewhere else. <laughs> like, I, I, why, why can't there be a system like that that's created in the NHL? Like where, you know, you're still saving money because you're buying the guy out, but you at least allow some sort of player movement to be created, you know, with, with whatever team. And, it's it's I think the NHL is a tough league too because I think it's the league that has the most parity in it, where there are so many teams that still believe that they have a chance. But who's kidding who? I mean, at some point you start to question whether or not you really a team really needs a general manager because sometimes there's they go full season without making any transactions, and I just think that's boring. Yeah, it definitely is. It definitely. And sorry, Jonas. Sorry, the thing that I want to touch on too, and this is something I truly do believe in. I think what this system, this cap system has resorted to is, I mean, we're here every year. I think Calgary is a perfect example right now 
of teams that want to blow it up or teams that want to make a significant change. And the trade market doesn't allow them to do it. So what have we seen a lot of lately? Well, when a team can't trade a player, they fire their coach because they think a coach is going to make a change. And I just don't like that, right? Yeah, I don't know what uh, James is right. Like maybe you just have to like change the rules. Like one thing that's different in the NBA, uh, you're mentioning the no moves, James. Like those are rare in other leagues. Like Mm -hmm. I think, I mean, Carlo, you could tell me this. Isn't it true that Doug Armstrong like refuses to give those out? Is that right? He does. I love that. He refuses to give those out and he refuses to give out signing bonuses as we saw, you know, the whole Alex Petrangelo contract negotiation play out. And yes, I mean, I love that too. I think, and I think what it also has done, it's created too much of a, a sense of security for players where they get comfortable where they're at, whether they're having good years or not. And they're just happy being comfortable instead of happy and doing what's best for the league. And I know play, I know, listen, you're talking to a guy that's played in, eight cities in his last seven years in, in, in my hockey career. It's, it's not, it's not easy. It's not something anybody wants to do on a year to basis, moving from place to place. That's the nature of the business. And sometimes it takes going, maybe moving to a couple teams before you really find a fit for yourself. And guys should be, you know, sort of, um, you know, excited about that. If it means giving them a better chance to play or, putting them in a better situation or allows them to be part of a trade that everybody can talk about. Yeah. You said off the top though, you were on some losing teams and you didn't want to get moved at the deadline. So, I mean, no, 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 no. When, when I was on losing teams, I always embraced the idea of being moved when I was on winning teams. Then, you know, again, I, I, here's a, here's another great example. Early on in my career, when the Maple Leafs were uh, acquired Brian Leach from the Rangers, I was playing at St. John's that year. And in St. John's, all you're hearing is in a leech deal, my name was going to be the name going back. And I'm like, no, I don't want to be part of that deal because I want to play for the Maple Leafs, right? <laughs> uh-huh. So I, I remember I was in the car. Um, I lived in St. John's with Brendan Bell and Kyle Wellwood. Um, and we, I was in the car and the trade broke. And when the trade broke, I was like, oh, God, please don't tell me it's me because we had no cell phones back then, right? And, and when I heard the deal and it involved me, I was like fist pumping all over the place. So I'm like, yes. Required leech, and I'm still a member of the Maple Leafs, right? Uh-huh. On your career, because you know you, you you want that to happen. But I, I think anytime my name was mentioned later on in my career, depending on the situation that I was in or the team I was playing on, I always embraced it because, again, when you're a part of a trade, you're a part of a trade that another team wants you, right? So that's something that 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 excited me and should excite everybody else. What uh, what bar in St. John's did you go to that night when you found out you were staying with the Leafs? Uh, Turkey Joe's and uh, is it the, the Ale and Lager were two of my go tos there, <laughs> and Sundance. Sundance. We were on there Saturday nights. <laughs> we were in St. John's. What were we there? Four or five days, Jonas, for training camp. Not obviously not not this year, but before everything shut down, and it was it was I had never been to Newfoundland. It was amazing. I loved it. Yeah, no. Hey, listen, I've always uh, I've always said that. Uh, you know, St. John's to me was a great experience because it was something I don't think I'll ever do again in my life. But it was tough because you get you get adjusted to a certain style of, of, of lifestyle there where when you're in St. John's, you're stuck on the island. You can't go anywhere on an off day. You're there. I mean, if you if you want to go somewhere, you got to fly into Toronto or fly into something somewhere else. And it was always one of those things where I said to myself, because I knew what road teams experienced when they came to St. John's. Like, it was awesome for a road team. You come in, you stay for the weekend, you play two games, 
hit the town on the, on the night you're about to leave. You jump on a plane, you get out of there. But to live there and go through that lifestyle was tough, man. I always said it's a great place to visit, tough place to live. Mm-hmm. Best fish and chips I've had in my oh, life. Oh, yes, 100%. Oh, baby. <laughs> All right, so let's let's talk a little Leafs trade deadline uh, stuff. So I, I want to go through some positions of need, and, and we can discuss how much need. So I think the first obvious one, we're, we're recording this on Thursday after Jack Campbell just won again. Like, he's 7-0. and I don't think yeah. he's ever going to lose again. Um, <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> I, think that's, I think that's what's going to happen. It's destiny. Um, so, so in light of Campbell's... Injury issues in light of like the indefinite nature right now of Frederick Anderson's issues. Um, Carla, we'll start with you. Like, how much do you think Kyle Dubas should be influenced in in terms of like maybe trying to go out and get a goalie based on the uncertainty that's kind of lingering right now? Well, it definitely has to be the top uh, agenda, uh, considering what information you're going to be receiving the next couple of days here with both Jack Campbell and Freddie Anderson, who was supposed to go get a second opinion, uh, I think yesterday. Um, but you know, your approach going into the deadline always, obviously always has to be something that you feel like your night lineup needs, but you always have to adjust on the fly. And as good as both goaltenders have been this year, there definitely has to be some concern because you have both guys dealing with a nagging injury. And, you know, I, I was, a, I was a little nervous before the game again in Winnipeg last night that, you know, whether or not Jack Campbell was going to play. And if he was going to play great, because, you know, you want to see him take the rain tier and you want to see him, you want to see what he's going to uh, be able to do, you know, leading the charge with this group. And it's a good evaluation for management as well, too, to see if he's a guy that can be trusted, you know, later on in this year or even sometime in the next year. Um, so the fact that he was able to play and put up that type of performance is definitely uh, put your mind at ease. But, you know, again, how is he going to respond after last night's game? Is he going to need more time off? And if that's the case, clearly you have to protect yourself because I think there's a great learning lesson here uh, for anybody who has questions about goaltending. Just look at what Colorado went through last year. You know, yeah. it's 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 an absolute shame that Colorado with that type of lineup could not advance further into the playoffs because their depth, their depth at goaltender was exposed. I mean, Grubauer was hurt. Um, what was the other guy's name? Um, Frank Hoos uh, got hurt, and you're they're riding Michael Hutchinson. If and it's ironic that Michael Hutchinson's in the same situation this year, but you know you you don't want Michael Hutchinson playing playoff games for you because you you don't you, you have to think that you don't like your chances winning a series. So does, does Hutchinson a, have like a monkey paw or something? Yeah, or no a kidding, doll eh? or something. <laughs> <laughs> but I think. There's enough time here before now in the trade deadline for the Maple Leafs to evaluate the health of both goaltenders. And if there's any type of question mark regarding either one of them, I think you have to go make a depth move to bring in a guy that's you know, maybe a backup somewhere else that you know maybe you can count on uh, sliding into some games. And, and two names I'll just throw out to you. I'm not sure if you guys have done any research, but you know I know Philadelphia has been rumored to be in the goalie market to help bring in some more security for. Uh, Carter Hart, but I'd be looking at a guy like Brian Elliott. Um, you know, he's a guy that I played with in St. Louis, a veteran guy, can give you big games as a backup or even as a starter, uh, comes in at a small cap hit and maybe would embrace, you know, putting being in this situation and in, in being uh, put in a playoff situation. And, and I know he's playing in Buffalo, 
But Carter Hutton would be another guy that I'd be looking at too, just because I think you put him in a better situation. I, I know what the way he played when he played in St. Louis, you know, people on that team rave about him still, about the, the things he was able to perform, which ultimately ended up getting him the contract he got in Buffalo. But, you know, maybe that's another guy you entertain coming in on a short-term basis that can fill uh, a depth role if needed. I the, the guy that I like, I don't know if he's going to get traded or not, but the guy that I wrote about today and that I really like is that uh, Chris Dreger in Florida who's playing very, very oh, well. Oh, yeah. Who, who, whose numbers greatly exceed those of Carter Hutton and Brian Elliott. No offense. <laughs> no, they, they absolutely do. They absolutely do. But, I mean, if you're Florida, considering how good you are, are you giving him up? Like, that's why I, I didn't factor him in, right? As good as that, that, as good as that acquisition with. Yeah, other teams are saying he's available. So, wow. Okay, I, then. I think Florida's, Florida's looking at it and saying, you know, well, we don't feel like we're going to win the cup this year. Um, let's put this guy's name out there and see what we could get back. And, I mean, maybe yeah. the asking price is going to be way too much. I mean, I don't know if you want to give up. I don't know what you'd have to give up. I don't if you have, if you have to give up a second round pick for a third goalie who might not even play. I, I mean, I I'd be willing to make that investment if it gives you yeah. the security that you feel like you're going to get. I mean, he's looked outstanding in the games that he's played so far, and you know you just you don't look at this year too. You look at next year. I don't think he's going to be a guy that's going to demand a lot of money in his next contract. I mean, maybe you can get him on. Uh, a short-term bridge deal yeah. that says go prove that you can be a goaltender, and if you can create that tandem between Drager and, I mean, guys like to call him Drager, <laughs> but uh, Darren Drager, who's a PSN guy, but between Drager and uh, and um, Jack Campbell, I mean, not only have you solidified your position because you got two guys that are competing for number one, and ultimately, I think that's the best approach here to have for the Maple Leafs, but you solved a little bit of your cap issues because you don't have to pay $5 million for a starting goalie. Well, let me ask you guys this then. Let's say best case scenario, Anderson comes back and, and they're like, James couldn't explain this better than I can. Some of the cap issues um, with acquiring a goaltender, but let's say best case scenario, Anderson comes back, Campbell's playing well and you start the playoffs day one and your goalies are Campbell and Anderson. How confident are you feeling, James? Like you can go first, and then Carlo, you can yeah. follow up. Well, you throw in the health situation. I'm not confident at all. And you know, uh, Anderson has not played well going back for me. Going back to the start of last season, there's been, and it's it's difficult to know because he was he was dealing with he was banged up last year too. It's difficult to know how much of that is them not having any other options and needing to play him when he's hurt. Um, but it, it, it certainly seems like psychologically Anderson is not where he was in his first three years in Toronto. And, you know, how many games is he even going to be able to play here before yeah. the playoffs to try and get back in a rhythm? It's it's going to be really tough. And in, in terms of Campbell, you know, in, in his ability, I believe in, because if you go back and you look at what he did in L.A. and even what he did in the minors when he was in L.A., his numbers are pretty good. And it, it's pretty clear that coming after his time in Dallas that he – he got his career back on track, and uh, he's played pretty well now for a couple of years. But you mix in that injury, which is clearly significant and has been bothering him the whole year. You're you're one pulled groin away from Michael Hutchinson being Michael Hutchinson, <laughs> <Yeah>. Michael Hutchinson <laughs> and Vaney Venelainen yeah. being your guys. And so, I mean, at the very least, I think you want to bring in another a different number three goalie. Yeah. And so, Jonas, just help me rephrase the question. You said, how concerned am I? 
No, how confident are oh, you? Oh, how like, confident pretend am you're I? Kyle Dubas, and okay. those are your goalies. Game one of the playoffs. Yeah. What are you feeling? Uh, I'm nervous just because of what uh, James had just mentioned, and, and nervous is just because of the injury and a health issue, right? I mean, when you're talking about uh, ability to play, uh, I'm not nervous at all because I think you've given yourself two guys that you can count on on any night to get you a win. And surprisingly, you know, James, you mentioned about Freddie Anderson's stats the last three years and, you know, how they, he's, he's, he's shown signs of struggle. You know, when, when the talk this, this offseason was, you know, trading Freddie Anderson, I was hesitant on it because I believe Freddie Anderson is a top 10 goalie in the league when he's at his best. And I really do believe that he's a good goaltender for this team. He's not great, but he's a good goaltender for this team. And I said, wait a minute, before you make uh, an assessment on Freddie Anderson, do yourself a favor and improve your defense in front of him because that'll be able to really give you a true assessment as to how good he is. Because in the past, he's always been the guy that has been saving games and winning games for them because of all the shots that he's facing. Well, take away some of that workload by putting the group of defense in front of him or making the group of defense a lot better see how he responds. And I think for the most part, I think everybody can agree the group of defense that have played in front of both goaltenders this year, all three goaltenders has played outstanding. I mean, they're, they're, they they don't give up that many shots. I think last night was the third game in a row uh, where they gave up less than 20, less than 30 shots twice against Calgary. They gave up less than 20 shots. So this team is doing a lot of good things defensively to eliminate the workload on those goaltenders. And I think, that's something I think Kyle Dubas and coaching staff will trust with whatever the decision they make or don't make when it comes to their goaltender, knowing that uh, collectively they play a better version of team defense in front of them, which is ultimately what you want to see this, this group buy into come playoff time. All right, guys, we talked about the goalie. I think you both made very good points. I think it's something that they're going to have to consider. I would just be really, really nervous about that mm-hmm. because that can just doom your season. This feels like it's been a question really since the start of the season is uh, a forward to play on one of their top two lines. We've seen Alex Galchenyuk fit in pretty nicely with with John Tavares and William Nylander. Zach Hyman obviously plays well when he plays with Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner. Now that things have kind of shifted a little bit, how much do you guys think they should still go out and get a top six forward? Carlo, we can start with you. Yeah, I I, I wouldn't make... Uh, the the priority going out and identifying a top six forward. Um, I would I would make the priority of defining what type of player you're looking for because we can see that both of their special teams have struggled here over the stretch. Power play in particular, uh, penalty kill, uh, just just as bad. So maybe there's a guy that you can go out and identify. Okay, well if we need to improve our penalty kill, let's go out and get a penalty kill guy. Or, you know, if you if you want to match up against other teams in your division, because ultimately that's what you're going to have to do to advance, maybe start asking yourself, okay, well, how can we match up against Winnipeg, a team that's bigger, that's going to play heavier, that's going to provide more of a challenge for us in a, in, in a, in a seven-game series? Is there somebody we can go out that can, you know, uh, fit the mold of a little bit of sandpaper, but can, can play the game sort of like a Wayne Simmons or even a Zach Hyman? I mean, you'd love to find another version of a Zach Hyman. So I wouldn't be too concerned about a top six guy because I think the luxury the Maple Leafs have are guys like Jumbo, guys like Spezza, guys like Hyman, guys like like uh, Wayne Simmons that can be interchangeable and versatile 
throughout the top lines. And one guy I didn't even mention right now who's getting that chance is Alex Galchenyuk. I don't know how you guys feel about him, but I've been very impressed with what I've seen with, with Alex Galchenyuk. And I think this is a guy that's going to, with more confidence and more playing time, um, is just on the verge of breaking out if he can stay on that line or stay in that group of top six players. Um, his compete level has been very impressive. I think his, his skating um, has been a lot better than I thought it was. And, um, you know, he's playing with some good players. So you got to think it's inevitable that it's going to happen. So, I mean, I think the Maple Leafs did an outstanding job. I give them more credit than now than I did when, in, in the offseason when they made the moves. Um, you know, addressing their depth. I mean, granted, they lost two players, VC and, and Travis Boyd, um, you know, as depth players for them. So um, I, I, if I was the Leafs at forward, I would just try to find somebody that can play between three and nine. Uh, because you're always going to find somebody to mix and match with Matthews and Marners because those are the guys that keep the line going. But if you can find an impact player that can make a difference between your second and third line, somebody that's going to be an upgrade over Jumbo and Spezza, that's that's you know more of a necessity and not a luxury. I, I think the, the good thing about where the Leafs are at is – they don't. They, they've got the cap space and they've got kind of the assets in terms of picks and prospects that they don't have to only make one move. Mm-hmm. So I think in the context of if they're bringing in two or three players before the deadline, I think then yes, they should add a forward. So, uh-huh. um, well, James, you proposed a couple in your piece today. So you had Kyle Palmieri and Scott Lawton are a couple guys. Well, and, why would they? Fit? And, and Nick Foligno too. So yeah. you know, and Nick Foligno, yeah. I, I think there's some interesting names there along the lines of what Carlos talking about in terms of you know, it's not like you're going to be like I don't know that Taylor Hall necessarily makes sense, especially given how big his salary is, and especially if I think if you add Hall, you probably can't add a goalie or or some more depth. Uh, to the organization. But, you know, if you add a guy like a Palmieri or a Foligno and their contracts are in the four and a half to five and a half million range, um, that that's kind of going to be the sweet spot. And I don't know that the asking price of the deadline is going to be that high. I mean, we'll see how, how fierce the bidding gets. But if you only have to trade, you know, say a second round pick and, and maybe one of your depth prospects for a guy like that uh, in a year where this is probably as good of a chance as the Leafs are going to get, to in terms of to win the division to make it out of the not only the first round but the second round uh-huh. I think this is really a go for a year for the Leafs and I think I would be really aggressive here especially with my picks well it has to be James because if you look at it I mean you have so many questions next year who's in net for you is Zach Hyman going to be back what do you do with Morgan Riley what's your division going to look like are you going to be healthy? Like year after year, there's so many questions that factor in. So I've always been a big believer that if you like the team you see in the year that you're in, commit to it and worry about the year following or the, the future years following it when, when, when you get to that point. And I think this year is more unique than ever because you talk about what a first round pick means this year. I mean, the Maple Leafs are a top five team in the league. They're going to be draft. That pick's going to be in the bottom half of the first round. Can you really? have a true assessment on any of the players that are playing this year because of COVID, you know, which player is going to be defined as a first round pick. And I think this year, you know, more than ever, it's going to be the value of those middle round picks where you can probably get a steal out of a guy. So I don't put too much value in the Maple Leafs first round pick this year. So if that can be a, a valuable, a valuable trade asset that other teams would, um, would take and you'd be willing to give up, I'd be all for going in and, Again, you talk about some of the other prospects they have. If those prospects aren't helping you now, 
you know, there's there's so many good players that come up year to year that you could find either through through the draft or through free agency. I mean, even even with the, the what do you call it the, the the tryouts that players going on. You know, like the, the list continues to improve every year with good players that are on those lists. They're PTOs, right? So there's there's yeah. certain ways you can find a way to replace guys that you're going to get rid of, and if those guys that you're getting rid of are going to help improve a need. That can get you. Let, let, let's let's not look too far ahead for the Maple Leafs because let's remember this team hasn't won a playoff round since two thousand and four, and I think just the mindset and the accomplishment of winning one playoff round for this group can do wonders for the growth of this team. Well, and and Carlo, like after the draft last year, after they picked Amarov, Kyle Dubas said, like this guy is not going to be right? helping us. I think he said for like three years, years three like, four years. Yeah, and so that's where it gets tough. Like what to to go back to like the fit. I think what they could use and and some of the guys James mentioned, I think would help this is they could use someone who if they're going to play Hyman with Matthews and Marner, that they've got someone else who can play on that quote unquote third line. Mm-hmm. So th- they just need a little bit more flexibility. Or if you want to play Hyman with Engvall and Mikheyev, yeah, someone who can play with Matthews and Marner, and that's why like. I kind of like the Granlin idea. I like the Palmieri idea. I I really liked Alex Iafalo in L.A. And yeah. L.A. is like right on the verge of being in it and maybe not being in it. But it just feels like they need one more guy that, like you said, Carlo, that they can, they can play on line one, they can play yeah. on line two, they can play on line three. Just a little bit more flexibility than they've got right now. Yeah, and, you know, the whole Granlin obsession, I mean, who's to know if he's even available right now considering the way Nashville's yeah. playing, right? And that's how much things change here on a week-to-week basis. Listen, I think in a perfect world, I think Nick Foligno is the perfect fit of the type of player you want and the type of yeah. player that you would you would need in a, in a playoff series or come playoff time because, you know, he can play with a high compete level. He's got the 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 the, the, the leadership uh, values. He can fit into a locker room and he can play up and down anywhere you put him in the lineup. And, um, you know, being a, a, an Ontario kid too, you know, you think he'd be pretty motivated. But again, I find it tough that this Columbus is going to move on from their captain, right? So yeah. again, there's options out there, whether or not those are real or not. Like I, I, I had this conversation, I think it was with Dave Poolin the other day uh, or Craig Button. Um, a player, if they could actually, it becomes available that I would target would be Miles Wood out of New Jersey. There is so much to like about this guy. You talk about the mold and the type of player that he is, it, it, it checks off every box of, of the player that can play up and down the lineup, a player that's going to compete at a high level, a player that plays with grit, that can be tough to play against. Um, he'd be a guy that I, I'd be targeting if he comes available. But again, it's, it's, it's who's available at that time that uh, will ultimately be the determining factor. James, do you have anything to add or can I move on? Let's, let's talk about uh, – we're going to talk about defensemen? Yeah, well, so I think that the the there are two parts to this question. So the one part is, do you want to acquire an upgrade to what you've got right now? And yeah. so the name, obviously, is Matthias Ekholm. And I think there's a conversation you can have as to whether that makes sense. He signed another year. I, I could see the logic in that. And then the second part of it is, do you just add an, another depth D? And like, James, you brought up Kulikov. Alexiak, just like another guy to have in case you face a situation like they faced mm-hmm. last year, Jake Muzzin goes out and you have to put Martin Marincin into the lineup for a playoff game. <laughs> yeah. You don't want that. No. So, Please, so no. James, I'll start with you. <laughs> Ek- let's start with Ekholm. 
like would you how much consideration would you give to that or are you just Nash- I've got Justin Hall, I'm good. Nashville's in a playoff spot. Like I think I think that Granlin and Eckholm and, and Forsberg and all the stuff we were talking about two or three weeks ago, it's, I think it's all off the table. I mean, Nashville's played really, really well and they're back in the position and that's a team if you look at the way it's built, they're a they're a win now team. Like they're not a rebuilding team. So I don't think it makes any sense for them to trade Eckholm right now. I mean, maybe it's something they look at in the offseason before the expansion draft if they want to change things up on their back end. But right now, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, it, it, they should go for it. You know, they should try yeah. and win, you know, with all the uncertainty around the league. And, you know, if they can get on a run, and they've got enough talent there that I think they could potentially do some damage. So they, they yeah. haven't gotten very good goaltending this year. And But I think that, you know, if anything, I mean, Nashville could probably think about adding someone there to help them get into the playoffs. So I... I, that just doesn't seem like a possibility. And I think any trade where you're adding term is going to be really difficult for the Leafs to to accommodate. And, you know, just to stick on the defenseman part, I think it would be it would be it would be tough for any member of this group of six defensemen on the Maple Leafs team to, uh, for the Maple Leafs to add a guy that would come and take their spot because you know, I think they've done enough and showed enough this year, not only just with their health, but with their play that they deserve the chance to lead this team into the playoffs. And uh, I'm not saying that they shouldn't end anybody, but it, it, the focus on defense would be just continuing to add valuable, you know, veteran experience, but depth guys too, because you can go back to probably as many years as you want. You don't win a Stanley cup unless you have eight or more NHL type of defensemen, because as good as this season has been for the Maple Leafs health-wise, you can just not predict, predict or project that you're going to go completely healthy through playoffs. And I think last year was a perfect example when the Maple Leafs lost Muzzin in game two. You know, they yeah. they they bring – who did they bring in uh, for that? They, br- they brought in Marincin. And next thing you know, you know, you're, you're totally changing the, the identity of, of your group because you're bringing in a guy that's not capable of that. So, uh, you know – that, well, and Carlo, look at the guys they have right now. So these would be the options. It would be Rasmus Sandin, yeah. who's barely played. Lilligren. It would be Callie Rosen. It would be Timothy Lilligren. It would be Martin Marincin. Like they're Matt, Matt Hollowell. Hollowell. Like, yeah. Uh, are you really comfortable putting those guys in the game? I'm not. A playoff series. I'm not. Yeah. yeah. So if 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 you're gonna add on defense, I don't think I think this group has warranted the 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 chance to see to be the leaders. But you know, you, Tampa Bay went through ten defensemen last year, winning the Stanley Cup. Right. I mean, you know, yeah, Bogosian didn't play every night. Right. So, I mean, that's that should be the focus for the Maple Leafs is find cheap NHL veteran depth guys that can protect you from anything bad happening, whether it's a bad game, a bad injury, or just a change in momentum because of the way that player plays in a playoff series where you might need a spark. James, are you ready to take some questions? I am very ready. All right, Carlo. We we asked our our listeners for some questions, so they're Love gonna it. Gr- they're gonna grill you here. Uh, Jordan right. Jacklin asks, Carlo, what will it need to pro- what will need to progress for advanced stats to be taken more seriously among the older generation in in hockey? <laughs> I guess I guess that includes you. I mean, I <laughs> I'm like the perfect guy to ask this because I'm not a believer in advanced. Listen, I think. Advanced stats are a great resource, a great tool. But when you're making your decisions based on those, that's what I don't agree with because a lot of a lot of the decisions that are made with with player decisions or even with coaching decisions have to be 
about the feel that you have with the group or the player that you're watching play every day. Um, you know, because at the end of the day, players are playing the game, not computers, right? I mean, it's that's that's just the way I look at it. Um, you know, I, we, we poked fun at uh, Jonas's tweet last night about expected goals. And I understand the theory behind expected goals, but I still... I, I still can't see, I, I don't see how it translates to the actual goals that are being scored. Yeah. You're giving yourself a better chance to score those goals, but <laughs> I, I only see the goals that are being scored. Right? It's another name for scoring chances. Like, like if we called it, th- this is a funny thing. Like, like when shot attempts was called Corsi, all the kind of more traditional people in hockey all hated it. And then, mm. but if you call it the shot attempts then there's less resistance Whereas if you call something expected goals instead of scoring chances, like if we just talked about scoring chances all the time, that's all expected goals is. Yeah, it's just a weighted metric of how good the chances are. Uh huh. That's and, all. And it's it's I I don't know if it's like it's it's tough to get a player who's played the game to buy into that theory because they've seen and and have gone through so much playing the game. That like when I played, I always used to be. I was always told that my analytics were really really good. But it never changed the way I was being played, right? So I'm trying to think to myself, okay, well, if you're telling me my analytics are pretty good, why don't you put me in those positions where I th- you think I can help the team? Well, so much of it, Carlo, is like contextual. It's like where you're being used and who you're playing against. Yeah, and like- it's true. It's true, right? I mean, I was I, for for the last five years of my career, I was played as a third line or a third pairing guy, right? I'm playing against third and fourth line guys. Well. I, I always thought that I, my, my, one of my greatest assets as a hockey player was, um, you know, my hockey IQ, I could think the game. And a lot of it was because I could see the next play before it happened and make that play when it needed to be played against guys that are playing on the third and fourth line that are probably just going out and, and putting a puck in a position to put me through the boards. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, look at like, the expected goal leaders this season, Carlo. <laughs> and I'm not going to include Alex Galtinia because he only played a handful of games. Number one, Zach Hyman. Number two, Austin Matthews. Number three, William Nylander. Number four, Joe Thornton. So that's a contextual one. Like that's Is this all Maple Leafs or is this This a, is just uh, Maple Leafs. Okay, okay, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And then it's John Tavares. It's Mitch Marner. Like Jake Muzzin is a really good example. He has really good expected goal numbers despite playing really hard minutes and starting a lot of shifts in the defensive zone. That just tells us he's really good. Like, even though he's playing really tough minutes, the Leafs are still generating the vast or the majority of the quality chances. All right. All right. I got another one here. Old Dirty is this person's name. Wants to know who would win in a fist fight, Carlo or Aki Berg? (laughs) (laughs) I always get the Aki Berg questions, eh? Uh, I, I'm going to give myself the credit in that one. I, I'm, I'm a guy that I would warn people not to mess with when I'm really, really pissed off. So you did have some fights. I'm looking at, wow. You fought Spezza once. (laughs) He fought me. He jumped me. (laughs) (laughs) That dirty Spezza. Yeah. What a great story he's been, man. I'm so happy to see him continue to play well. Uh, a lot of the questions I'm getting are not questions at all. They are just that gif of you slamming into the boards. Plans? <laughs> the <laughs> best just... gif in hockey? <laughs> How many times a day do people send that to you? You know what, man? There's such a funny story behind that where I remember that game. And after the game, I believe we, I think we, we, we won or I'm not sure what the result of the game was, but 
um, in the room, you know, you're, you're, you're stirring the wine down, you're stretching, you're, you're getting ready to jump in the shower. And there's, there's a group of guys that are huddled up in a corner and they're just laughing and, at their phones. So I'm like, what could possibly be so funny? And every time I, I sort of veered my way over there, guys would notice me coming around and they'd be like, Shh, hide it, hide it, hide it, hide it. <laughs> like, what are, you, what are you guys hiding? Show me this stuff. They're like, dude, sorry, man. We, we, we can't hide it from you anymore. But like, did you see this? And next thing you know, I see my face being plastered up. I think it's the glass and I'm, I just start dying of laughter. Like I, there's nothing to be embarrassed about of it. It's just, you know, it's, it's, it's the moment of, of, of what I got caught in and the, how much we laughed hysterically about that for, for that whole night on the bus, on the plane, uh, was something I'll never, ever forget. But the thing I cannot still figure out is how the hell that camera was in that exact spot for me to do a face plan on it. And so in case most people don't know, in the old Joe Louis Arena, Joe Louis Arena was one of the oldest buildings in hockey when it existed and when there was, and by the way, it was one of my favorite rinks to play. And I love the energy in that building. I love the way the rink was built. Uh, even just the way the puck bounced off those boards, there was a real skill of playing there, which is why the Red Wings, you know, were so good for so many years. But those boards are like brick walls. They, there's no give when you get hit into them. So when I made that play, I was making a, a diving stop for on Valtteri Filppula for getting a breakaway. I get the puck, but my momentum spins me around. And all I can think to myself is when I'm spinning around, oh my God, make sure I get up because if I hit these boards, it's going to hurt. So I get up, I pick myself up to my knees to sort of brace myself for the contact. And the top of my knees hit the bottom of the baseboard, which again, it's brick wall. And that's why I made the face that I made because I was like, ah, oh, son of a bitch that hurts. What the hell? <laughs> so then, you know, it gets caught on there and people are like, oh, you know, face plant this face plant that and it just became the big joke around our team. And luckily for me, this is something I could look back on right now and laugh at because it's it's what defines me, I guess. Didn't that get voted as like the best hockey yes, gift ever? Hundred percent. Yeah. yeah, there was like a big tournament of hockey gifts, and it it, it I think, I think it, it won. Cleaned I'm, up. I'm still yeah. waiting for my prize. <laughs> I can't remember who did that, but all right. Uh, JF asks, uh, "What would you do differently in your career with regards to the injuries that you had and, and and training and things like that, or is it just? Do you think it's just bad luck for some players that well, they go through what you, what you went through. Here's the thing. I, I played in two different eras and early on in my career, when I started, there wasn't a big emphasis around training and nutrition and, you know, taking care of yourself. It was just playing the game of hockey. And I think a lot of the, the things that I, that I suffered was because I played the game with so much passion and so much energy that sometimes I played reckless in the sense that, you know, reckless allowed me to expose myself to suffering injuries. And then aside from suffering those injuries, you know, you're being told uh, or you're being given certain protocols for recovery that don't meet the necessary requirement of the injury. So a lot of it, like you said, early on in my career was bad luck and misinformation, especially when it came to uh, the knee injury that I suffered early on in Toronto. Um, you know, a, a part of the, 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 time that part of the length of time it took me to come back from it was because in the beginning I wasn't given the right timeline 
of recovery. And I started to push through it because I wanted to get back to playing. I just wanted to get on the ice and obviously ended up making things worse. Um, you know, I suffered a really bad concussion in my time in Toronto on a blind side, inadvertent hit from a Vaclav Verada. And I would warn people out there, don't get into a headbutting match with Vaclav Verada because you'll lose every time. Um, and when I suffered that concussion, remember that was in 2006 where nobody really knew anything about concussions, right? So I was experiencing almost every symptom that you can experience during that time, but not really having any answers. So that sort of took a time, a long time to develop. And this is all during my time in Toronto, where not only am I trying to be an NHL player, I'm trying to be a young NHL player on a very veteran laden team where all I want to do is play hockey because it's what I love to do. And all I want to do is make an impact because I'm a first round pick playing for my team. And so I'm putting myself in positions where I probably shouldn't be in and exposing myself to those, um, to those, to those uh, uh, situations that lead to more injury. And as you grow on and as the game starts to evolve a little more, you start to learn a little bit about yourself and a little bit about more about your body and how to keep yourself into the game. And it actually took me, you guys, getting traded to St. Louis to actually put things into perspective because the toughest thing for me during my time in Toronto was as badly as I wanted to play and play almost every game that I was here. One of my biggest regrets was I never got a chance to experience playoff hockey here in Toronto. We were so close that one year in 2008 or sorry, 2007 when we lost on the final game of the season, but I wish I could have, I wish I, I didn't have the injuries that I did because it was so tough answering those questions everywhere that I went in the city. Hey man, why are you injured all the time? Hey man, you know, stay healthy. It just irked me when all I wanted to do was focus on hockey. And when I went to St. Louis, I didn't have to deal with, with that cloud over me of people always labeling me as an injury prone guy. Cause I never believed that's what I was. I, I was, I was, uh, I, I was, um, a product of the way that I played, which was reckless. I mean, you saw him in my career. I was fighting, I was making big hits. Um, I was, you know, just throwing myself at guys into the boards because, you know, that's the way I knew how to play the game. Well, if I had to go back and, and change things, I'd probably play a lot more of a steady, more calm game and just allow my skills and allow the play to come to me. But that's the generation I grew up in. So when I, when I, you know, when, when things, when, the, when rules of hockey start to, you know, sort of change and the game starts to become younger and faster you know, now I'm changing my training where I'm not worrying about being a bodybuilder or being a, a weightlifter. I'm worrying about being fast, being strong, staying young, because that's what's going to keep me into the game. And ultimately, you know, when I went to, to St. Louis from St. Louis 2008 to 2015, which was my last season in Buffalo, I didn't suffer many injuries. If anything, I was uh, fairly healthy in those times. Yeah, I got nicked up every once in a while, but I would find my way back and you know, your last four years of my career, a lot of those games I didn't play was because I was a healthy scratch. Yeah. So, you know, it, Carlo, it really bothers me that the way fans sometimes talk about guys that they're like having injuries is like a character defect or whatever. Yeah. Like we went through it with Lupul here in Toronto and it's, that's not what it is. Like, it's not like a personal, I don't know. It's, it's not a personal failing or something. If you get no, hurt. And the thing about injuries is that you can criticize a guy when he's being soft about injuries where, uh, you know, I'm not feeling good today. I'm feeling sore and I'm not going to play. Well, like hockey and sports are a tough game. Like, you know, you're never going to play a season feeling 100% healthy, but the injuries I was suffering were the stuff that I couldn't play through. <laughs> like, believe me, there was times later in my career where I was playing through 
broken ankles, uh, you know, sprained wrists, broken fingers. I played with a separated SE joint in my time and a separated shoulder um, during my uh, playoff run in Detroit because I found a way to play through the pain because I just wanted to play. Right. But that those are the those are the wounds and the scars that you build, uh, you know, playing that type of hockey. And sometimes that's that's what the, 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 that, that's, that comes with the territory. Well, Carlo, you've become, I think you're just a natural with media. Um, like you're just naturally good at this, I think. Thank you. I learned a lot so from you, Jonas, and you, James. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> so you can uh, check Carlo out, obviously, on First Up on TSN 1050 and all over TSN. He does a great job. Carlo, this has been fun. Like, we got to have you on and talk some more about your career and talk more. I have, like, lots of questions about that trade, even just to, to St. Louis in the first place. That was not a, a good trade for the Leafs, yeah. obviously. <laughs> a hard, um, hard memory that they'll be scarred forever for. <laughs> it, it was a tough one. It was Great weird one for me, time. though. <laughs> yeah, good for you. Yeah. Um, so thank you for, for coming on. We really appreciate it. And and I think we've swung you a little bit on expected goals, so I expect to hear that. <laughs> I love it, video. boys. I love it. Oh, listen, Thanks, anytime, Carlo. man. You know me. I love talking hockey. I love talking Leafs. I I wish nothing but great success for the Leafs because the better they play, the more success they have, the better our jobs are. So um, I'd be happy to join you guys more often. Just let me know. Awesome. Thank you, Carlo. All right, guys. Take care. All right, James. That was fun with Carlo. There's there's so much we could break down uh, with his career. And obviously the trade stuff is, is interesting. Um, anything surprise you? My, my God, the... Our listener response when I said we were having Carlo on is all about analytics and they're asking why he was on and they're they're all angry over. I mean, here's the reality is that the majority of players in the league and certainly uh, the majority of the players in the league uh, uh, believe the same things that Carlo believes. So, you know, I know that that drives, you know, our listenership is is, is very... Uh, analytically driven and that's great and you know Jonas and I are both into that and that's the way that we view the game and we talk about it but um, not not everyone shares that perspective and I think having someone like Carlo on and talking about it I mean I don't think that there's no. there's harm in that and maybe the next time we can get into it a little bit more and debate it a little bit more with him I think that would be a good idea I think it's just a, I think there's a perception that that is the only thing driving us and that's obviously not the case Um so yeah, it would actually be fun. Maybe in the off season, we'll just have an analytics conference. How about that? That sounds pretty good. <laughs> we'll get O Dog on too. <laughs> we'll get O Dog on. That's a great one. <laughs> All right. Well, next week, James, we have another awesome guest, Elliot Friedman. Wow. You'll you'll know who he is. How did did we pay him off or something? We have a good producer, <laughs> a boss. Uh, so we will be back next week. We'll see if there are any trades hash over at that point uh, by the time we record next week there will be I think just like one week into the trade deadline so it's 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 going to be tense interesting times um, for Kyle Davis in that front office so James keep well everyone thank you for listening stay well stay safe and we'll be back soon <laughs>